Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of First Samuel. Hi there, friends and faithful listeners. I am so excited that you're here on this lovely Monday to start your week out right by reading some scripture passages with me. And since today is Monday, we're going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about 1 Samuel chapter 13. And this is actually a very controversial subject. I'm going to be talking about personal defense. In other words, owning weapons. And I have done previous episodes on this topic. So for those of you who have been tuning in to the podcast for a while, You already know my stance on this, but I'm going to get into it a little bit more today and talk about it a little bit more in depth. But before we begin today's episode, I just want to give a big shout out to everybody who went over to coffee and supported P40 Ministries because my goal has now been met. So thank you guys so, so much. I sent each of you who made a contribution a personal email thanking you. And I wanted to come on the podcast as well to thank you myself because it is extremely appreciated. You guys don't know how much it means. Thank you. So let's read 1 Samuel 13 verses 15 through 23. And let's get into today's controversial passage of scripture. This will be out of the WEB version, but please feel free to read out the version that you prefer to read out of this morning. Don't forget to grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea this morning. And let's enjoy reading God's word together. Samuel arose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. Saul counted the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them, stayed in Geba of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. The raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned to the way that leads to Ophrah, to the land of Shul, Another company turned to the way to Beth Horon, and another company turned the way to the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, towards the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines, each man to sharpen his own plowshare, mattock, axe, and sickle. The price was one pim, each to sharpen mattocks, plowshares, pitchforks, axes, and goads. So it came to pass in the day of the battle that neither sword or spear was found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. The garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So Israel has a very big problem right now. They have no weapons. Okay, so there is not a single man in Israel other than Saul and Jonathan basically the king and the king's son, that has a weapon of war. So how did this happen? Because it kind of seemed like in the last couple passages that Saul was starting to make advances toward the Philistines and even had a couple successful battles. Well, before we get into that, you have to remember what happened earlier in this chapter. We talked about this on Friday. So Saul decided to gather 3,000 men to go to war with him. And when the Philistines found out about this, they go and encamp in Michmash. And their army was so big. They had so many weapons. They had so many horses. They had so many chariots. And in fact, their fighting men were like the, the grains of sand 
on the seashore is actually what it says. There was that many fighting men. And so the Israelites are looking at the Philistines and they are absolutely terrified. Even though they had had some successful battles, they are absolutely terrified when they see the Philistines coming up against them like that with so many weapons. So they're like fainting in fear. They're hiding every single place they can hide. They're actually like crossing the Jordan River and going and living elsewhere. They are doing everything they can to get away from the Philistines. So Saul sees that his control is kind of waning a little bit. So he decides to try to get it back. And he sacrifices the burnt offering, even though Samuel, the high priest, was not there. And only the high priest was supposed to sacrifice offerings like that. The king could not do that. And I went into all of that on Friday, why the king was different and why he wasn't allowed to do that. So I'm not going to get back into that today. But Saul wrongly sacrificed the offering to God. And so Samuel, right as Saul is finishing up, you know, he's probably still bloody from... (laughs) sacrificing this offering and you know he probably smells like smoke and Samuel can probably see the offering like still burning or whatever Samuel walks up he sees what Saul had done and he actually reprimands Saul and he's like why did you do this this was super foolish this was against God's commandment for you as the king and now God is actually going to take your kingdom away from you he would have established your kingdom forever and now God is going to take it away from you because you did this very foolish thing. It says in verse 15, where we talked about today, that Samuel, after this, arose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And this is interesting because Samuel left that area. Even though Saul was just about to go to battle, Samuel decides to leave. And to me, that's kind of uncharacteristic because last time Saul went out to battle, he actually took Samuel with him is what it says. And I imagine that Saul expected Samuel once again to go out to battle with him, but Samuel just up and leaves. And that is because of the sin that Saul had just committed. And in a way, there was a curse that was put on Saul because of that sin he committed. So I think Samuel left because he knew that it was a fruitless battle right now, that God may not be with Saul because of what Saul had done. Now, the question to me is, why didn't Saul confess his sin and like repent or turn away from it? I don't know, (laughs) but he does not. He kind of just like lets Samuel leave and doesn't say sorry or anything like that. Or he doesn't say I sinned. He just kind of lets Samuel leave. And after this, it says Saul counted the people who are present with him about 600 men. So at the beginning of this chapter... Saul started out with 3,000 men, and now he's down to 600. And we know that these 600 were not very confident in Saul right now either because they were trembling is what it said when we talked about this on Friday. These men were terrified because obviously the Philistines were going to kill them. They have a very small army as compared to the Philistines, and they know that. So they are trembling. They are afraid. So it says that Saul counted the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Saul and Jonathan and his son and the people who are present with them stayed in Geba of the ben- of Benjamin, I'm sorry, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. So it looks like Saul also leaves with his son Jonathan and they go to Geba because we know that Saul, this was the first time he left Gibeah 
since becoming the king. He kind of like chilled in Gibeah, the place he was coronated until this moment. And now he's going back to his hometown. And maybe he went back to his hometown because maybe Saul knew that this was fruitless and decided to go home because that would be better for him right now so he wouldn't die. But it says the Philistines continued to encamp in Michmash. So the Philistines aren't moving. They're staying there in Michmash, most likely to wait to strike or to scare the daylights out of the Israelites, which they are currently doing. But it says in verse 17, the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies, one company in Beth Horon and another company by the way of the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim towards the wilderness. So it looks like there were three companies of Philistines that came out to raid the Israelites and they were extremely successful because here's what ends up happening. It says that the Philistines blocked the people from having blacksmiths. So I don't know if these raiders just came in and started killing blacksmiths and taking weapons or what exactly happened here, or if this was sort of a slow burn where the Philistines were doing this the entire time very slowly so that the Israelites would not have any weapons whatsoever. But one way or the other, the Philistines were very, very, very successful in getting all the weapons from the Israelites and also stopping anybody who was a blacksmith from working in Israel. But I mean, blacksmiths were necessary for other things as well. They were necessary for sharpening tools and stuff like that. So where did Israel have to go to get their tools sharpened? They had to go to the Philistines. So it says that in verse 19, there was no blacksmith found throughout all the land of Israel because the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. So that is why they did not want the Hebrews to have any weapons whatsoever. But it says in verse 20 that all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his own plowshare, mattock, axe, and sickle. Now, I don't know what a mattock is. I imagine it's some sort of farm instrument. Let me look it up. Mattock tool. Oh, it looks like a pickaxe. Oh, no, it's not exactly a pickaxe. It's like a, it looks like a axe on one side and like a little shovel on the other side, kind of in the shape of a pickaxe. Anyway, that's what a mattock is. <laughs> so anybody that needed their mattock, axe, sickle, plowshare, goads, pitchforks, anything sharpened like that, they'd go down to the Philistines and pay the Philistines a pim, is what it says. And it says a pim was two thirds a shekel of silver or 0.26 ounces or 7.6 grams. That's a lot of money to get your stuff sharpened. For example, my husband, we live out in the middle of the woods. And so one of the things that we do is we chop up our own logs for firewood. My husband has an axe and he has to sharpen it basically every single time he goes to chop wood because it's actually pretty dangerous to chop wood with a dull axe. So if these Israelites have to go and pay this amount of silver every single time they have to get their axe sharpened, which is potentially multiple times a month, depending on what field of work they're in, that would be a lot of money over time just to get your axe sharpened, not to mention all of these other things that need sharpened around the farm. So this was 
very cruel, this thing that the Philistines did to the Israelite people by not letting them have blacksmiths for fear that the Israelites would make weapons of war for themselves. Now, of course, they would have, but protecting oneself is a basic human right. We have every right to protect ourselves and our family. And I believe that that is very clear throughout all of scripture, because even God himself tells the Israelite people to protect themselves, not to mention the plethora of verses out there in scripture that talk about defending the widow, defending the fatherless or the orphan. And also Jesus himself told his disciples to buy swords. Then there's first Timothy five verse eight that says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And you, you might be like, well, Jen, that's talking about finances. But actually, if you look at the entire passage, it's not. It is not talking about finances. It is talking about the well-being of your family members. And now that could be financial, but it also could be just providing their basic needs, food, clothing, shelter warmth, <laughs> uh, protection. And yes, these are all basic human needs. And First Timothy says to provide these basic human needs to your family. So that is why I personally believe that scripture does advocate for personal defense, a government coming in and taking away your right to defend yourself is a huge travesty. And that's unfortunately what happened here in 1 Samuel 13. Going back there, it says the Philistines took away the Israelites' way of protecting themselves and their families so that the Philistines could just go in and do whatever they wanted to the Israelite people and totally mistreat them in any way that they wanted to mistreat them because the Israelites couldn't defend themselves. So yes, I do believe that scripture says we have the right to defend ourselves. But here is the caveat. We can certainly sin by owning weapons. The first way is by misusing that weapon and mistreating other people with that weapon like the Philistines did. You know, they had all the weapons and they were mistreating the Israelites with those weapons by sending out raiders to do whatever they wanted to the Israelite people. We don't own weapons to mistreat other people. We own weapons to protect ourselves from people who mistreat us, if that makes sense. So that's the obvious way we can sin by owning a weapon. But the next not so obvious way we sin by owning a weapon, even if we literally never pick up the weapon, even if it's sitting in the drawer forever and you never touch it, you can still sin by owning that weapon. And here's how. You sin by owning that weapon if you trust more in that weapon to protect you than you do in God to protect you. Similarly to money. It is not a sin to own money. It is not a sin to own a lot of money. There is no sin in owning money in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with that. But it becomes a sin if you trust more in that money to save you or protect you than you do in God to save you and protect you. That is why David in the Psalms says that he is not going to trust in man and he's not going to trust in chariots and in horses and in weapons, even though David himself owned all of those things. I mean, he was a very successful king and he had a lot of successful victories in battle. He owned lots of weapons of war, but he wasn't sinning by owning those weapons of war, but he would be sinning 
if he trusted in those weapons and in his soldiers more than he trusted in God to save him. But let's go back to 1 Samuel 13 to conclude. Saul ended up counting the men that he had in his army, the 600 men that he had left. And I wonder, was this a test of Saul's faith? Was he going to trust in God to come and save him from these Philistines? Or was he going to trust more in the fact that he didn't have a lot of weapons and that he needed more weapons in order to save himself? How is Saul going to react? We're going to talk about it on Wednesday. We'll get into 1 Samuel 14 and hear about the rest of this story. Faithful listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that it answered some questions you might have about personal defense or something along those lines. But don't forget that if you have a prayer request, feel free to contact me. You're going to find my contact information in the description of this podcast episode. And I haven't told you guys that in a while that you can send me prayer requests. I do like to hear them and I write them down in my little prayer journal and I will pray for you if you have a prayer request. So send a prayer request my way if you do in fact have a prayer request. Faithful listeners, I will see you guys tomorrow for an episode out of the book of Acts and then also on Wednesday to continue this story about Saul going to battle with the Philistines. Faithful listeners, have a fantastic rest of your Monday. Happy listening and God bless.